Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nah, maduhu anusalli ala rasulihil kareem amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. So welcome back to another exciting edition of, of the Pandemic Quran class. And <clears throat> we're going to jump right into the material. And uh, once again, for those who are catching us, this is the link for where I'm posting the links of all the whiteboards as well as the uh, the links for the audio recordings of each of the classes and i try to post them as quickly as i can so that you can have them for your usage and growth okay so going back to the whiteboard itself and can someone nod let me know you can see the whiteboard yes yes okay very good so where we left off yesterday, we were speaking about the different ways of having a connection with Allah Ta'ala. And, and so, bigger, and so, we have a connection with Allah Ta'ala, so with God Most High, one is by way of the names, and we placed emphasis on two names, one is the name Allah, and then Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. And then we introduced a second way, which is Hamd, so the names would be Asma. The second way is Hamd, which is praise and gratitude of Allah. Uh, uh, for those of you who who are attending both the five o'clock and six o'clock session, uh, for this week they're going to be mostly identical. There's going to be some sentences here and there that are not that will be in one but not the other. <clears throat> so don't feel like you have to attend both unless you just love the quality of my voice, or more than that, you love to spend as much time learning about Quran as you can. Okay. In any case, uh, so yeah, to the question of how I just received it is a, a repetition of what we just did an hour ago. Okay. Hamd, praise and gratitude of Allah. <clears throat> and so that is Hamd of Allah as Allah. And we're going to talk a bit more about Rabb of all the worlds today. Then again, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. And I'm going to simplify this one step versus what I wrote yesterday. The next is Ibadah. The next is Iste'an. So Ibadah is, we were defining as worship, or giving your most extreme love. And Iste'an is seeking help from him. Okay, the first principle to consider <clears throat> is that these are five different ways through which to have a relationship with God. Five different ways through which to get closer to Allah. 
Now, ideally, a person will participate, will partake of all four, and not five, four methods of getting closer to Allah. Okay? Ideally, you do all four. But uh, similar to the concept of love languages, these are sort of like connection to Allah languages. And can anyone define for us what we mean by love languages? Anyone, those of you who've got married and went through the whole training, or anyone else? Can anyone explain to us what are the love languages? What is the concept? Yeah, anyone? love languages are the ways you accept love. Um, that includes physical touch, uh, quality time, uh, affirmations, acts of service, and receiving gifts. Nice. Okay, very good. Thank you, Sarah Abuji. So, so what is the idea here that different people need to receive love in particular ways? So one person might love to receive gifts. The second person doesn't care about gifts. Uh, they need to hear nice words. I love you. I'm proud of you. You're so special to me, right? The third person, gifts and words are meaningless to them. What they need to do are to do things together. We need to go on a hike. Okay? We need to do the skiing. Okay? I don't know why these guys all have access, but... The fourth person, none of those three work. And so they need physical touch. Give me a hug, as long as it's halal. And then the fifth person, none of those four methods work and they just need to spend quality time, right? So for example, if you ask my daughters, what is my ideal vacation? It's literally sitting at a desk reading all day long. Yeah. Whereas for someone else, it'll be to go on a hike. For someone else, it's, it's you know, huggy wuggy, that type of stuff, so on and so on. But the point here, <clears throat> is that each of us has has love languages that we prefer on how to receive affection. What you are seeing on the screen, think of these as different languages that we prefer on how to have a connection with Allah. So for some of you, it is to get to know the names of Allah. For others... Yeah, that's nice, but you find much more enriching if you are expressing praise of Allah, if you're in awe of Allah. And we'll talk about examples of these in a moment. For the next person, it is literally acts of worship. And by acts of worship here, I'm assuming you're already doing what you have to. So here we're doing the voluntary, supererogatory acts of worship. So that includes recitation of the Quran, that includes memorization of the Quran. And the fourth is essentially dua. Now, yeah, if not, you're correct. I did list Malik. I'm actually simplifying it for our purposes. I could actually make it longer, but uh, I'm making Malik one of the, in fact, let's put it up here just for convenience. Whereas before, I mean, yesterday I made it its own category, but for simplicity, I'm keeping it down to four. And we'll, we'll come back to this too as well. So yeah, thank you for, for drawing attention to that. So, so the point here is that you might find one of these approaches works better for you than the other approaches. So it may be that your connection to Allah comes not only by memorizing the names, but reciting the names. Allah, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Al-Malik, Al-Quddus, and so forth and so on. But for the next person, that may not work as well for them. 
And then the next person, they might actually find their way of connecting to Allah is by praise and gratitude, either by actually praising Allah, by saying Alhamdulillah, or by thinking of the wonder of Allah. I may have given the example before in other classes. Actually, I know I have in other classes, but some of you may have heard this or not. I was once sitting in grad school. I was sitting in a class in cosmology. So these are models of the universe. And the teacher on the screen put a giant photo of a galaxy, a spiral galaxy. And I'm sitting there trying to comprehend both the size of the galaxy, trying to even comprehend the size of the sun, what to think of a galaxy and how beautiful the galaxy is at the same time. And it was like I was maximizing the processor power of my brain. I couldn't handle it. So I was literally about to pass out right there in class. And so what I'm saying, one way to have appreciation of Allah is to express it with your tongue, and that has an influence on your heart. So if you just keep saying, Alhamdulillah, 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 that has an effect on your heart. Another way is to see something and say Alhamdulillah, to see something else and say Alhamdulillah. Of course, don't look at things you're not supposed to be looking at. Yeah, you know, so don't look at people you should not be looking at. You know, you know what I'm saying here, right? You know, watch your eyes. But the point is that that's another way to develop Alhamdulillah. Another is to appreciate the wonder of creation and to even consider that it's easy for Allah. It is as easy for Allah to make me as it is for Allah to make a galaxy. It is as easy for Allah to make a cricket as it is to make the universe. So a second approach, a second uh, connection to Allah language is by hamd of Allah. But it could be that none of those really appeal to you. It could be that the third one, and that is literally by increased acts of worship. Okay. And so these would especially be the five pillars. So, so increased prayers, increased uh, recitation of the Quran, or it could be increased fasting and things like that, increased charity. Or maybe you're the fourth person where your primary way of connecting to Allah is, yeah, Allah, give me help. You know, I need your help to get through the day. Give me anything. Okay. And so what is that? The expression, it's an expression of Allah's greatness and your weakness. Okay. So each of these is a different type of expression. And we'll talk about these more and more as, as, as they become relevant. The point is, Ideally, you're trying to develop a connection with Allah through all four of these. But see which one works better for you and try to get really good at that one. Now, if you find yourself thinking, okay, I'm not good at any four of these, no, that's not correct. One of these does work for you. Okay. I'll give you a simple example. In terms of dua, so we have a narration that dua mukhul ibad, that the dua, the supplication, the prayer for help is like the bone marrow of the believer okay. and what are we saying it's the essence of being a believer so an exercise you can do i mean it's harder under zoom because you don't have as much interaction with people 
But anytime you hear of someone or see someone who seems like they even need a small amount of need, make a, a, a quiet prayer for them. And I'm talking about complete strangers. It could be somebody here in the class, or it could be somebody that you know and you hear anything about them, make a quick prayer for them. And we have a teaching that the prayers you make for your brother and sister are answered prayers. And that's the whole thing we can talk about. What does it mean to be answered and such? Uh, but the point is that uh, think of this as a currency that you have of dua and spend it. Spend it on anyone and everyone. And what will happen is chances are you will find pleasure in the fact you're making prayers for someone and they don't even know. You may never even see them ever again. It could be somebody who's on the train with you or somebody you happen to see walking by you. But they seem to have even a slight amount of struggle when they're walking and you make a prayer to Allah. Well, Allah, please help the person. So the point is that you will find, with some effort, at least one of these uh, works better for you. But the goal is to try to do all of them. But start with one. One that really fits you the best. As a doorway to get closer to Allah. So having said that, let's talk now about some of the meanings of some of these terms here. So we have Rabb and Al-Alameen. Anybody who's taken my classes before remember the long definition of Rabb? You get extra credit bonus points if you remember. And epic failure if you've taken my class and you don't remember. Shahir, do you remember? He took my class like 10 years ago. The one who takes you from a state of immaturity to maturity according to your unique design. Oh, snap. Very nice. Late is like, I'm going to jump in this one, especially to flex in front of you know, his wife, baby, and brother. Okay, so yeah. Rabb, the general translation we give of Rabb is Lord, like Rabb al-Bayt, Lord of the house. But when we're getting really into the, the details of the meaning, it's the one who takes you from immaturity to maturity according to your unique design. Okay. This is a more accurate meaning of the word Rabb. And the closest thing that I can think of is nurturer, to try to simplify it. But obviously, nurturer doesn't capture that whole thing. Now, think about what we said yesterday and now what we're adding today. Yesterday, we said that Allah as Ar-Rahim has a unique relationship of Rahmah with you that is different than his relationship of Rahmah with the person next to you. And yet he gives you 100% focus in the Rahmah, in the mercy he's giving you. At the same time, giving the next person 100% focus. So for example, that Allah Ta'ala, God Most High, is giving me 100% attention 24-7 in mercy and at the same time is giving Amina in this class 100% attention in his mercy, and at the same time giving Nijat 100% attention, and at the same time Fariha, and at the same time Judy, so forth and so on. Okay. Which means what? That everything happens to you is an in, in act of God's mercy. By design for you in that moment in your life. Keep that idea in mind. We're going to expand on that as we go through the material more and more. 
But then when we add this point, <clears throat> that he takes everything from immaturity to maturity according to its unique design, we're saying that he's the rub of all the worlds, meaning he's the rub of everything in all the worlds, including you and I, which means not only is everything, not only is he giving me full attention and manifesting mercy upon me, every single thing that is happening in my life is for the purpose of guiding me closer to him. Some of that makes sense, right? That if you're given a moment of ease, hopefully you're going to respond with gratitude, which is what we talked about with Rahma. If you're given a moment of struggle, hopefully you're going to turn to him to help for help. Right. So the point is that anytime something happens to you, it is an act of mercy from God and it is an act of helping you grow. Grow fundamentally how? Closer to him. That's maturity. When nothing happens to you, that is also by Allah's will. But you're never in a moment where nothing happens to you. But sometimes we might think, okay, nothing's happening. God is not there for me. Wrong. God is always present, always making thing ha things happen to you by design for you. Now, naturally, okay, you're not going to walk into someone in the middle of a genocide and say, hey, this is happening for me as an act of mercy from God. Okay, that's the most ridiculous thing you could possibly do. But in your own self-assessment, in terms of what is happening in your life, especially as you look back, you're going to have some moments that are horrendous moments. And even maybe now, there's, it's still too tender to look at them as acts of mercy. But put the seed in your mind to try to figure out how. Because okay, if you're getting if you're getting traumatized, we're not going to walk around and say that's an act of mercy. Okay. Uh, but what am I saying overall? That Allah is giving you 100% focus, 100% attention. You are never in a moment in which He is abandoning you. Now, <laughs> when we add the second point, you're never in a moment in which He is not guiding you either. He's not growing you. So that is what we mean when we're saying that Allah is the Rabb. When we speak of all the worlds, there's a couple of understandings we find in the commentaries. One is that it's all the worlds, like all the dimensions, the dimension of God, the dimension of angels, the dimension of jinns, the dimension of humans. Yeah. Another understanding is that these are all the different realms of knowledge. So think of all the worlds and all the different ways you can do. You can think of it. So one common way we think of it today is okay, all the different galaxies in the universe and all the different universes in the multiverse. So the same question I asked the previous hour, same question I ask every single time I'm doing this lesson. Raise your hand if you believe there is intelligent life on other planets. What do you think? Or if you don't believe there are. And again, intelligent life, I have to make the clarification again. I don't mean like Loyola student intelligent life. I mean actually intelligent life. Kidding, 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 kidding. Joke, Ramadan joke. Okay, so... How many of you believe there's life on other planets? Sarah Abuji says yes. Afnan says yes. Alina says yes. Simone says yes. Anyone else want to say yes? Life on other planets. Anyone want to say no? Oh, let's see. Hania says yes. Okay. And obviously, this is not, you're not going to be able to prove me right or wrong. Farita says yes. Anyone want to say no? There is not life on other planets. Okay. Asha says no. Omar says no. Okay. Hey, Omar al Good to see you again. Okay. So, so how, how we can say with surety that there is a life? Right? Yeah, we can't. We can't. Uh, That's another that. thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so so it's perfectly fine to say I don't know, but which one do you like to believe is true? And and so 
that's not the fun part of the assignment. Because we can even, like, imagine there's only life on one other planet in the whole universe. Wouldn't that be interesting? That there's just literally two planets that have life? Or that there's like 15 out of the 50 trillion uh, uh, galaxies? That's also interesting, yeah. you know. So or, logic says that. Logic says that there should be. Yep. Yeah. Or, I mean, I don't even know if we can argue with logic, except just to say that there's so many yeah. planets. Uh, or imagine there's life developing on Mars, like an amoeba, but then the Mars rover goes over it and it dies. Okay. So now, you know. <laughs> That's a Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so all those things are fun to think about, but to make it even more fun, those of you who have a Quran in front of you or who have it, uh, who can go online, go to Surah Al Ambiya, Surah 21. And within Surah 21, you're to Ayah 107, and this is a good Ayah to know anyway, but it's especially fun in the context of this discussion. So one person saying, I don't know, but intellectually, yes, spiritually, I don't know. Fair enough. Okay. So this is a famous ayah that you'll often find uh, people make into a sticker. We did not send you, who's we, Allah, you being the Prophet, peace be upon him. The Allah's be telling the Prophet, peace be upon him, that we sent you for one primary purpose, and that is to be the Rahmah of all the worlds. So what is more fun to think about is that if there is intelligent life on other planets, that the Prophet, peace be upon him, is also Rahmah for them. Uh, for they, 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 so they will have a revelation to the same that us? They will have some sort of connection to the Prophet, peace be upon him. It could be, let's, let's okay, think about it in our language. Okay, so we do know jinns have religion. And Surat al-Jinn, uh, we have jinns that are saying, hey, okay, we just heard the most amazing recitation of something so it's easy to believe that there's jinn on every planet right so therefore we can automatically already believe that there's some sort of you know expert dimensional life on other planets but somehow or other the prophet peace be upon him uh, uh has reaches everyone so jinn are not in unseen right um jinns, i mean they would be for our purposes in the unseen unless they leave the unseen but even think of the unseen as multiple levels the dimension where Allah is in is one level of the unseen. The dimension that different angels are in are different levels of the unseen. Same with jinns as well. But the point is what? The point is that if there is life on other planets, the Prophet, peace be upon him, is a rahmah for them. But even let's take it further. Okay. That uh, Allah Ta'ala is saying that you're the rahmah of all the worlds. So he is not only the rahmah for the life on other planets, whether it is intelligent or not, he is the Rahmah for everything, including that which is lifeless, like stones and planets and everything. So try to, try to explore that. Uh, I think not only is it uh, a fun idea to think about, but if you really try to ingest it, it develops a new appreciation for the creation of the Prophet, peace be upon him. And to make this point even further, what are we saying here? That... Uh, that of all the different ways Allah is uniquely giving mercy to you, the number one way is with the Prophet, peace be upon him. Again, at first, 
you know, it might take time for some of us to really, really digest it, but give yourself time and, and really think about it as we go through and explore who or what the prophet is, peace be upon him. Okay. So, so this is the Rabb of all the worlds. And then we have Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim again. If you and I read through Al-Fatiha, we have this repetition. Bismillah, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. One way to understand it is its emphasis. So yesterday I raised the question, well, what if instead of saying Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, mercy, 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 uh, it said that Allah is just. Bismillah, Al-Adl, Al-Adl. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Al-Adl, Al-Adl. Maliki Yawmuddin, Master of the Day of Judgment. Then it sounds like Allah is completely fair. He's completely just. Here we're not saying he's just. Here we're saying he's merciful. He's nicer than just. To the point that there's even a narration where the Prophet, peace be upon him, is saying that we're only going to get into paradise by his mercy. And even you, Ya Rasulullah, yeah, even me. And so, so fairness is one thing we're seeking. We're guaranteed fairness. So anyone who asks you the question, okay, can a non-Muslim go to paradise? The answer is everyone is going to be treated fairly. No one is going to be treated less than fairly. But there will be many people that Allah will treat better than fairly. Because his default relationship is one of mercy. Okay, meaning no one is going to go to hell who doesn't deserve to go to hell. And to really make the point further, the common understanding is that our default destination is not only paradise, our default destination is the top level of paradise, but it is my actions that start knocking me lower. And so if I'm seeking forgiveness, I'm bringing myself back higher again. So consider all these points, inshallah. Then we speak of Allah as master of the day of judgment. Now, is he not master of this world as well? Yeah, of course he is. So what is the difference here? On the day of judgment, he will be not disputed as the master. In this world, he is disputed by many as the master to the point that even his existence is disputed. But... <laughs> Again, here we have some different ways of expressing praise for him. That he has the power to be master. Yeah. So, so overall, <clears throat> I'd like now to give you your next homework assignment. Those of you who volunteer for homework, you're already probably familiar with this because this is my standard first homework assignment. This is the gratitude assignment. Like giving any of you the gratitude assignment before? Yes, don't realize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard this assignment 500 times. Okay. So here's the assignment. It might be a slight modification from what I gave before. Number one, each day, list out five things to be grateful for. Number two, once you've made your list from within yourself, Try to say Alhamdulillah for each one. So, for example, so in Chicago, we're close to 6.30 p.m. 
let's say you're looking back at your day and you're thinking of suhoor, you had that giant pizza for suhoor, and then you went to sleep for the next 10 hours, and then you woke up just in time for, for, for this class, and then you're going to have iftar pretty soon, and then you're going to watch the record, listen to the recording of this class, and then you're going to do the homework. Okay, so, so let's say that's your day today, hypothetically. So try to bring yourself back into the suhoor you had this morning and say, Alhamdulillah. And then bring yourself back into this class and say, Alhamdulillah. And then bring yourself back into your iftar and say, Alhamdulillah, so forth and so on. Okay. So number one, write a list of five. Number two, say, Alhamdulillah. Number three, recite this dua. And it's fine for our purposes for now if you do it in English. That we find in the Quran in Surah 46, Ayah 15. Surah Al-Ahqaf, Ayah 15, which is literally a prayer for gratitude. Anybody remember what number four is? Nadim, do you remember what number four is? Don't call on me, please. Number four is you can't repeat. So it's good if you do this in a journal or in a document. All the assignments that I give are assignments that I've done or I do. This is an assignment that I've restarted that I do on a daily basis, literally to the point that when I'm launching Google Chrome, because I spent 95% of my life staring at the screen, you know, like 50 windows open up. And the first one is Google Drive. The second one is literally my gratitude journal. And so I also do all these things too. If you do this on a regular basis, Meaning you're you're pretty consistent in doing it daily. Obviously, you're going to miss days here and there. That's fine. And let's say even four days a week, you're consistent. Then in about six to nine months, you're going to see a change in how you look at the world. You're going to see a change internally. Okay. Now, I'm not saying you're necessarily controlled. You're gonna you're gonna wipe out all of your depression and anxiety and such like that. But I am saying you will see a noticeable change. Uh, a question I received, does it, does it uh, I think, it, uh, does it matter how important or big the thing you're grateful for? No, because you cannot repeat, you're going to find yourself getting into micro things. Yeah. Like, thankfully, that car didn't hit me. Well, you know, it's, that's even kind of a big thing. Uh, you know, thankfully, I, I had that sip of water at Sahur. Or, you know, let's say you do your suhoor at iftar time the day before, whenever it is. The point is that uh, the number of things to be grateful for is beyond infinity. But the more of these you can direct your focus to, the more it's going to shift your appreciation toward an appreciation of the mercy of God on you. Because I will have students that will come to my office who live suburban lives who will literally tell me they can't come up with more than two things to be grateful for. And I want to politely say, you have no idea what's going on in your life right now. Okay. Yes, you do have all kinds of horrendous things. We're not minimizing the struggles that anyone is going through. But every one of us literally has an uncountable number of things to be grateful for. And so sometimes the challenge of the assignment is that when we get used to looking at life in a particular way, like a very negative way, like I'm a victim of life, uh, it gets hard to allow ourselves to be grateful. And this is an internal fight that some of us are going to go through during this assignment. So what are some of the big points that we've had from today's discussion? One, uh, we've talked about different connection to Allah languages, and here's four different languages through which to connect to Allah and see which one works best for you. 
And then two, we got into more detail about the about the attributes of Allah through which we give to him praise and gratitude. Um, uh, having said that, does anyone have any questions about anything at all? And for those who came in late, I'm reposting the link uh, for where I'm posting all the all these whiteboards and everything. Any I questions? Yeah, go I have for kind of a random question. Um, so you mentioned how um, God is mentioned first as merciful, right? And you contrasted that with God being uh, mentioned first as just. Um, I just have thought before of the seerah and how uh, the Prophet was like um, commanded to like rise and warn rather than rise and like instead of um, I don't, I just, I've always tried to like think of why that was. And I kind of see a contrast there. Do you have any thoughts yeah, on totally. that? So, so, so the question that is raising is that when you look at the first, what's believed to be the first revelations that the prophet peace of God and received, right? He receives Iqra and he receives those passages. And then he receives the first passages from Surah Al-Muddathir. And one of the passages there is is uh, arise and warn. Now, a way to think about this is that when you are calling on a population, you have to evaluate what language is going to work best for them. And it seems as though the best language for them was to warn them because even when he goes public, what is taking place? He says, okay, oh, my people, have I ever, you know, if I told you there's an army coming behind this hill to attack us, would you believe me? Yeah, you're a Sadiq al -Amin. Um, you're the you're like the super truthful. He says, "Well, then I'm warning you of a coming day of judgment." And it could be that that's what that specific population needed to hear, whereas a different population may have needed to hear, "You know, I give you good news of a day of judgment if you do X, Y, Z." Now, why is it warning? Perhaps because he's speaking to the elite of Mecca, and a lot of times the language that the elite needs is it might be something more tough. That could be something we might infer. But that's the second ayah. What's the whole of the first ayah? Iqra bismi rabbika ladhi khalaq. So he is speaking of Rabb in the first ayah. Right, so that's still coming first. Make sense? Thank you. Yeah, and Judy, thank you for, for that assignment. It's very nice, Mashallah. Ifal. Uh, Hello, Asalaamu Alaikum. Alaikum. So, so regarding uh, the, the question up in the air, I think this falls into the Kalam, right? Uh, which question? Any question that we need to uh, we need to feel like we need to answer it is uh, is fall into the category of Kalam. So, with that, if if a if person asks about when we say Rasulullah is Rahmatullah I mean, so what about the prior? If somebody says, okay, he is only like 14, 1500 years, right? So prior to that, how are we going to handle that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so uh, a question was raised <clears throat> even to the Prophet, peace be upon him. What happens to the people in who were alive before you, before you came along? And one of the answers to that was Surah 2, Ayah 62, which is commonly the interfaith ayah. People misquote it for interfaith purposes. Uh, but the, uh, the, what the ayah states is essentially anyone who believes anyone who is Judean, anyone who's Nazarene, anyone who believes in Allah on the last day, they will have the reward of their Lord. They need to have no fear, nor shall they grieve. 
Now, the answer is still the same, that anyone on the day of judgment will be treated fairly. And so another way to think about this is every single one of us on the day of judgment is going to be judged according to us. Meaning Allah is going to judge me according to what he has given me. Which is different than how Allah is going to judge Jewel. Which is different than how he's going to judge Iqbal. That because he's given us three different things. And the easiest example is that by the time each of us die, we have lived three different lengths of life. So we obviously can't have the same standard in terms of what we were supposed to accomplish in life. And so what's included, uh, included would be all the different uh, ways guidance has been given you. So perhaps you have one person who's raised in a Muslim household and everyone is upright. Second one is raised in a non-Muslim in a Muslim household and everyone's corrupt. Third person is raised in a non-Muslim household and everyone's upright. Four person is raised in a non-Muslim household, everyone's corrupt. Those are four very different life experiences. And so Allah is judging you according to what you have been given and will be fair according to that or nicer than fair. Make sense? Any other questions? Um, on that ayah that you mentioned, uh, Baqarah, I-62. Yeah. Uh, what did you mean when you, you were saying that uh, it's like falsely used for interfaith purposes? So the argument that people use is that this is proof that Jews and Christians can go to paradise. Yeah. Uh, the first issue is the actual proper translation of Hadu and Nasara is not Jews and Christians. It is Judeans and Nazarenes. This is something that most people aren't familiar with. Uh, but does that mean Jews and Christians can't go to paradise? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that ayah is not a proof of that. Right. Everyone will be treated fairly, and we hope that nobody will go to hell. And if I were to ask how many people in this room have non-Muslims in their immediate or extended family, um, the numbers are going to get higher and higher with each five years that we're, um, you know, five years down the line in Islam in America. Right now, if I were to ask the room, probably about a third of the people here probably have uh, non-Muslims in their immediate or extended family. And probably about 10 years from now, it'll probably be half of this room. And 20 years from now, it'll probably be two-thirds of the room. And, and we'll have, inshallah, if we'll get around to it, we'll have a whole uh, uh, a conversation about those issues. They may be outside of the class, but we'll see how far we get in terms of our study of all this. Yeah. So you understand the key point I'm making. I'm basically saying that uh, that uh, I, uh, you technically can't use as proof that others can go to paradise. But it doesn't mean that others can't go to paradise. So when you look at the whole spectrum of opinions, it is scholarly speculation. And it seems like it leans more to people saying, no, only Muslims can go to paradise. But where does everybody agree that Allah will treat everybody fairly? Make sense? Yes, thank you. Any other questions about anything at all? Okay, very good. So uh, uh, you all have the link for, for the recordings and the whiteboards, inshallah. And then we will continue tomorrow. And again, as is the case, uh, some people have already started sending me the, the, you know, their homework assignments, trying to get feedback and such. And by all means, I'll try to help each and every one of you in whatever you'd like. The easiest way is just to use the, the uh, Loyola email, because it's technically actually a Loyola class, because so many of the students here are Loyola students, mashallah. And uh, otherwise, we will see you all tomorrow.
glory to you, O Allah. Praise and gratitude is to you. We bear witness there is no God but you. We seek your forgiveness. And we turn to you. Okay, may Allah tell reward you all, inshallah. Have a good iftar if you've not had it, and we'll see you tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.